Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. It's Joe Marino and Chris Schubert. We're from the Draft Network, and we've got some fun stuff to talk about today. Want to get into some wide receiver discussion, some big picture NFL draft talk. And Chris, wide receivers have dominated the headlines this offseason. And there's some fun conversations to be had about how that's going to impact this coming NFL draft. Yeah, Joe, uh, lots of different butterfly effects that we're going to explore today on the show, not just with the wide receivers, but with the draft in general. And I'm, these shows are always fun, right? I really enjoy going down these rabbit holes of, of draft storylines and doing this 30,000 foot view because I think you can attest to this personally. Sometimes we get so in the weeds talking about this player and that player and talking about their specific skill set. All things that are very important, but when you step back and take that 30,000 foot view of how this map of the NFL draft is going to take place in what three four weeks from when 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 we're doing this show, I think that's when this starts to get really fun because you're like, okay, we've talked about all these players, now we get to kind of explore where they go, and I think the wide receiver position, it's been a big deal off you know off of the draft cycle in terms of Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill and the movement to Amari Cooper. We've seen a lot of movement in the wide receiver position, and I think wide receiver is one of the positions in the draft that's going to generate a lot of attention as well. What's especially interesting to me about wide receivers is the amount of teams in the bottom eight, 10 picks that you look at and say, yeah, they could use a wide receiver. You look at Buffalo at 25. You look at the Packers at 28, right? They need a receiver. Chiefs have two picks, 29 and 30. They need receiver. The Lions, they need a receiver. They're picking 32. And so as we set the table here for what we're going to get into. I'm fascinated to really talk about the possibilities, the real possibilities that exist for these teams. Will they be able to stay put in the back of this first round and get a meaningful wide receiver for their really good quarterback? You know, a lot of these teams, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, will they be able to find that weapon that they're looking for? Or does the run start earlier and they have to ask themselves a question. Do we want to reach for somebody or wait for the second round? So, Joe, one of the things that really stands out to me when we were putting together this exact topic, because when we talk about wide receivers, we could sit here all day and talk about individual wide receivers. Like I mentioned in the top of the show, we could go super in the weeds. But the thing that, and you mentioned this to me in the pre-show, there is some recency bias that I think is going to bleed into this year's draft. And I think when you look at the last two draft classes for wide receivers, there are going to be two buckets that I think we can put these players in, right? There's bucket one, which is the Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, teams looking for that kind of player in the first round, which I think you and I both would agree does not exist in this year's draft class. There's good players, good wide receivers, but nobody of that caliber of wide receiver. And then there's the bucket that has become prevalent over recent years, which is the man, this is a deep wide receiver class. You can get a guy on day two. You can get a guy on day three. I just have in front of me, Joe, the 2020 draft class. So two years ago, I went two years back for this. These are the names that were not drafted on night one. These are names that were not called with the first 32 picks. Tell me if these guys have at minimum made an impact for their team. 
T. Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr., LaVisca Chenault, Chase Claypool, Van Jefferson, Brian Edwards, Gabe Davis. Those are just a few of the names on Mm -hmm. this. There are other names on there that did make an impact, but those names are guys who have contributed to their football teams. So you can get guys on day two and day three. I mean, Gabe Davis was a fourth-round pick. Yeah. So there, there is an opportunity to get value in the second round. And I think when you look at those two buckets, that's the lens that I think we view this year's draft class through because that's the way it's gone recently. And I don't know if, I don't know if, I certainly don't think we have bucket one. And I don't know how many names we have that I would throw in bucket two. So I think this is a fascinating conversation. Well, Chris, let's go back one more year to 2019. These players were not first round picks. Debo Samuel, 36 overall, and all the players I'm about to name were picked after the top 50. A.J. Brown, Miko Hardman, D.K. Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, oh, Terry McLaurin, Hunter Renfro. The NFL has done a phenomenal job of finding wide receiver talent outside of the first round. Go back to Michael Gallup. How about that guy, Cooper Cup? He had a pretty good year this past season. He was a third-round pick. You know, think about Michael Thomas. It has been a trend that we've seen over the last five or six years. And so what's interesting about that is last year we had five first-round receivers. 2020, we had six first-round receivers. And then those years where they really found that value, 2019, only two first-round receivers, Marquise Brown and Inkeel Harry. 2018, only two first-round wide receivers. So sorting out this wide receiver class is – It's really interesting when you consider what's available versus what the NFL trends have told us about finding receiving talent after the first round. So, Chris, you said, you know, there's no Jefferson, there's no chase in this draft. I would say that if Jamison Williams didn't have the ACL tear, that I would view him in a similar light as I did some of the premier wide receivers that have come through in recent years. Now, I don't think anybody expects Jamison Williams from Alabama to be the first receiver off the board, and it's really a question of, does he go in the first round? If so, how far does he fall? Does he get out of day one? Those are questions, but if this guy's healthy, he has that explosive big play ability to win down the field. Like, this guy can stack corners and get on top of him and run away and get behind the secondary, and he's got ball skills, and he's got hands. And then we saw as the season progressed for Alabama last year, the entire skill set come together where the route running to all levels of the field, the yards after catch, it was all there. This is that guy that I think changes the way defenses play you if you have him on the field and healthy. And the challenge there is when is that going to be? He's going to start way behind as a rookie because – you know, so much of receivers' ability to come out and contribute stems from the chemistry that they can build with their quarterback. And now you're talking about not taking real reps until six weeks into the season if he starts on the pup list. And so it's a little bit challenging that from that perspective. But if you can if you can wait, if you can be patient, you can have what I think is a real difference maker at the receiver position. And we're not talking about a guy here in Jamison Williams that many people are thinking this is the first wide receiver off the board given the injury. Yeah, and I think the other important thing too, and when when you said it, it made me kind of put it into context. There's a di- like Chase and Jefferson are the two names that we talked to, but there's a difference between both of those guys as well. Yeah. Chase was a top five pick, 
right? Like there's Justin Jefferson was a mid first round pick. There's a difference, right? Like if you're going to take a guy in the top five, you better be sure that he's Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, at least the J Justin Jefferson that we've seen in the National Football League, right? Like, so th that's the other thing that plays in, into effect here. Now I'll tell you one thing that's, that's going to work in James. There are two things that are going to work in Jamison Williams' favor, I think. One, ACL injuries are not what they used to be, right? They're just not right. what they were 10 years ago. When, when a guy has an ACL and he had his, what, the national championship game? January. The, the turnaround on that, he, he could be ready by the end of September. Like, I don't, I don't think that's mm -hmm. unreasonable to say that, right? And, and, and two, the other thing that's going to work in his favor is just this week we saw him. He didn't, he's not going to work at Alabama's Pro Day, but he was out there. We saw a Twitter video of him starting to do some things. That's if, if, if there was a general manager, if there was a scout, if there was a team in the National Football League that was a little concerned about, hey, we don't have a lot of information on this kid yet. We don't know where he's at in his rehab process. That type of information coming out is going to help you. Now, to your point, Joe, and I hadn't thought of this until you said it, but you talk about a guy who needs to have chemistry with his quarterback. You talk about a guy who might not be able to play until October, the middle of October, November is kind of the range that we think he could potentially be around for. Do you think that type of delay, and it's in the grand scheme of things, it's four to six weeks, right? In terms of mm -hmm. actual NFL games. Do you think that dissuades a team like my New York Jets, the Chicago Bears, a team that has a young quarterback, the Jags wouldn't do this because they have a ton of wide receiver talent, but you understand the point I'm making. A younger yeah. team that is building, do you think that dissuades them from drafting a guy like that because they need, because not only, put Jamison Williams in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, and I don't have as many concerns because it's Tom, right? Like he's good, they're, they're going to figure the chemistry out. But now I have a young quarterback with a young receiver and they're, they're desynced. I would be a little worried about that. I don't know if worry enough to not pick him, but I do think that's something you would consider, right? Yes, and I think for certain teams, he's going to make more sense than others. And if we do apply this to New York Jets, who I think what I respect about the Jets is that they've been very honest about what they are and where they need to get to. And I feel like a player like Jamison Williams could give them a lot of the things they thought they would get in Tyreek Hill when they were in the, the bidding there to get him, where they want to maximize that ability for Zach Wilson to launch the ball down the field and create off script and who better to have on the receiving end of those scramble drills and just on those vertical routes than Jamison Williams for Zach Wilson to launch the ball down the field. And he's really good after the catch. So he not only can help you in the quick game, which is the bread and butter of that style of offense, that LaFleur style Shanahan influenced offense. It's the, the quick passing game and that sets up your shots down the field. I think Jamison Williams gives you the both best of both worlds and because you're a team that appears to be patient with where you want to get to and your process to get there, I could get behind the Jets wanting to have Jamison Williams. Now, let's apply this same thing. Let's let's bring in the Atlanta Falcons to the conversation who hold the number eight pick in this draft, who have Marcus Mariota as the bridge quarterback to some quarterback that we suspect eventually will get there. And I don't feel good about that, where Marcus Mariota doesn't have the time to – wait, right? He has to make it happen quick for the Falcons and they need wide receiver help, but I don't think they need wide receiver help that they have to wait on. And so as two teams where I think, okay, is wide receiver in play for them in the top 10, the Jets and the Falcons, I have varying degrees of how I feel about that based on the, the context of those different landing spots. 
Yeah, I mean, Jamison Williams is my personal wide receiver one for the New York Jets and just in general, right? Like, he's, he's the guy that I would have no issue taking at 10. And again, if you're going to give up four to six weeks of Jamison Williams to have him hopefully paired with Zach Wilson and whoever, you know, insert any other rookie quarterback if you're Atlanta or any other team that we want to use, Carolina, any other team we want to use in this scenario, right? Insert that rookie wide receiver with a with a young quarterback. I think you you would look at it from a bigger picture and say, yeah, maybe we're not going to get the immediate returns in 2022, but we'll be able to get good returns down the road. And I think that's the you know the thing that ultimately would sway me in one direction or the other. But Joe, we just talked about bucket number one. We haven't even touched bucket number two. It's how deep this conversation goes. So why don't we talk about that day two, day three value that teams can have that they can find and how many guys we think fall into that bucket this season. So, Chris, we touched on the early dynamics of the wide receiver class and Jamison Williams and where the run could start. And that's going to be important to figure out is when does the run on receiver start? Because that's going to give us clarity on who could actually be first round picks and who are the guys that are going to fall to day two. And, um, man, you could you could convince me of a lot of different things here in terms of which receivers come off the board night one and which ones are still waiting. And that creates a lot of fascinating conversation over the possibilities for teams that do want to play the waiting game and opt to try to find that value on day two. Like where we said in the open, there's been a lot of value across the last couple of seasons. Well, Joe, let's just look at it, right? You mentioned a bunch of teams in the open of play of teams that could be interested in wide receiver. You didn't mention Dallas at 24, you could make a case Arizona at 23 would take a, a Jamison Williams or a, a, a player of that caliber if they if that player fell to them at 23. They might go with a BPA approach. I mean, Green Bay picks as early as 22, mm-hmm. right? Like so, and not, not even pick 28. Look look all the way up at 22 where the run could start. And so New England, you know, New 21. England, like like the money that they spent in in for their pass catchers didn't necessarily pan out. So did they try to then go with a younger? Like there's so many different teams that I could very easily make the case. Like yeah. That team should get a receiver. Philly's got three first-round picks. You don't think they could sit around and go, yeah, you know what? You know what we should do with one of those picks? Yeah, we'll take a receiver. <laughs> so, like, the guys we the guys we put into this bucket of, wow, these are guys that you could get on potentially day two, and they could be your DK Metcalfs, your AJ Browns, the, the, the guys that we mentioned at the top. I wonder how many of those guys just get artificially pushed into round one because there's a run and teams panic. Like, the the Jets pick 35 and 38. The Jags pick, where do they pick? 33? Like, there are teams right in that cluster of picks right in the first half of the second round that if you're a team like Green Bay or Kansas City or Detroit with 32, like, you're not going to want to wait because what's going to come? They're not going to get to you. And so... You know, the guy that immediately jumps out to me, and he's been a guy that I've been a fan of since the Senior Bowl, really stood out there, and he's just been one of of my guys. So I've been driving the bus for this guy, Christian Watson. He's a guy that at the Senior Bowl, I was like, man, this is that that day two, early second round guy that goes to a team and it's just a home run. Like, that's how it felt to me. Well, then he does what he does at the Combine in Indy. This guy's getting drafted with one of those first 32 picks. Like, he's not, I I don't think he's getting there. Wow. Okay. So Christian Watson, North Dakota State, height, weight, speed specimen, strong, confident hands can win down the field. And his resume of explosive plays is really off the charts. I mean, his number of 20 plus yard plays as a percentage of his touches is literally off the charts. I like a lot about Christian Watson. 
and the physical skill there, the bet on trait stuff that I preach all the time, it's fully encapsulated in Christian Watson. I do think that he's a player that has to kind of round out his game a little bit, develop a bit more route running, and obviously there's a jump in competition, and, and I'm never afraid of small school players. Small school players have been doing great in the NFL for a long, long time, and uh, I think he certainly has what it takes, but I do recognize the curve, right? Like, it's a different world. You're beating up on corners from South Dakota State, and now all of a sudden, hello, welcome to the NFL here's Jalen Ramsey or Marlon Humphrey or insert whatever good starting cornerback that every single team has. So there's a bit of an adjustment there, but you have to love the physical skill there. And if he goes top 32, I think I'd be a little bit surprised. But to your point that you made about the landscape here, especially in that second round range, he's not going to wait long. I don't think he gets outside of the top 50 for sure. I mean, Joe, would you be surprised if a team like Kansas City or Green Bay, like th- those are great situations for him, I think. Established quarterback, established coaching staffs, offensive minds. Like they're not, they're going to understand what his quote unquote limitations are, right? In terms of route running, they could set him up for success. You know, it's situational, right? Like I'm not advocating for, yeah. for Christian Watson to be the pick at 21 to New England. Like that's not what I'm saying. Right. But there, sure. are, there are teams in that back six picks that I think make great landing spots for guys. And we've seen this. Take the wide receiver position out of the equation for a second. We see this all the time where if there's a team that likes a guy that fits what they do, they'll quote unquote reach a little bit for that guy with picks 28, 29, 30, 31 because they don't think that player is going to get back around to them. And guess what? You're picking in this spot for a reason. You're a pretty good football team. There's a lot of things going your way. You have a pretty good infrastructure. You're a well-run team. You know how to handle these types of situations. And so you could potentially take that chance. But okay, let's let's put aside Watson for a second because there's like seven other guys we can talk about here. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, you have Jahan Dotson, who I think would be in, is going to be in consideration for one of these early day two picks. Uh, a fan favorite of uh, Kyle Krabs, Sky Moore is a guy that I think could probably is probably going to hear his name called on day two. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to make sure that I that I get everybody right. Do any of the Ohio State wide receivers fall out of the first round to where that they're they're and they shouldn't? So. But but do, are yeah. they in the conversation here? I mean, there's just so many guys that if if there isn't a run where we think there's going to be a run. There's going to be some guys on, in the early part of day two that are going to be there. Drake London. I think we can we can cross off the list. I think both the Ohio State receivers, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, I think they're gone in the first round. I would agree. I think there's a really good chance Drake London is agree. a first-round pick. Outside of that... Oh, no. Jameson Williams, I think, goes in the first round. Okay, if, so you're willing to say there's four locks? Because if he doesn't go early to like the Jets or any of those teams in the early, but we were talking about earlier, I, Kansas City or Green Bay would take him late and just wait because they're in a Super Bowl window and they would just take their chances, right? And so I, I don't I don't see him falling out of the top 32. I don't think that injury is going to stop him from being a first-round starter. That's, that's a good point. You said Kansas City, Green Bay. I'd, I'd add Buffalo, who I think Fair. wants that vertical player as well. If Jamison Williams gets past all three of those teams, I have questions. Uh, and that shouldn't I, be right. the case. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we'll call it four locks, but I can be convinced that any other receiver, yeah, you mentioned some of them, John Dotson, Penn State, Traylon Burks, Arkansas, Sky Moore, Western Michigan, Christian Watson, North Dakota State. Those names, if they went first round, I wouldn't blink an eye. If they went second round, I wouldn't blink an eye. And so this is that value game. And I think what this really goes back to is where does the run start? 
if Atlanta and the Jets and even Washington, those types of teams right there, start the run, then they're going to go quick. If you get past those teams and it really starts with kind of the Saints and the Eagles and Patriots, then things look a little bit different. But the mystery this year is is very big in terms of who's going to go in the first round. And I wonder what questions teams are going to ask themselves in terms of deciding if somebody's a first-round pick. Because whenever I sorted out my rankings this year, if I didn't feel like you could be like the focal point of an NFL passing game, I kept you out of the first round. You know, like you had to pro, pro, profile to me as a legit, like either number one or close to it. One of those fringe ones where you can have two of those and feel like you're good enough at receiver. And so I'm interested to see what qualifiers the NFL puts on these guys, because a lot of it's going to come back to what style of receiver do they want? They want a physical X receiver that can play on the line of scrimmage and beat press coverage and keep the chains moving. Do they want a yards after catch guy? Do they want a burner? Do they want an interchangeable player that you like playing in the slot and outside? There are so many varieties of skill sets that exist that that might be the qualifier. And so as I talk through that, I think it does come back to that. What are the teams looking for? And do they feel like they can find it in one of these players because they are so unique. And I think stacking them is going to be difficult. And I think that's where you're going to see a lot of variance across rankings that you'll consume because obviously rankings are going to be dictated by the traits that you value the most. And with there being this much variety in skill sets, we're going to see a lot of variety when it comes to the overall rankings. Well, and I'll tell you this, Joe, right? Like I've seen mock drafts that have Drake London go inside the top 10. Yeah, I, I've seen mock drafts that have Drake London as a top eight pick. We don't have Drake London at TDN as our top receiver, but that when you see in mock drafts that he's going as the top receiver, there's there's just a slight difference where what you're talking about plays a role, plays plays an impact, and it, it's going to depend because like there, <clears throat> Drake London and Jamison Williams are two very different receivers in terms of what they do. Completely opposite, like like the total opposite ends of the spectrum. Yep. So you could say that Drake London is your is your top receiver. Let's say, for example, that he is my top receiver. He's not Jameson Williams is. But let's say like I like Drake London the most. But my team doesn't prioritize needing that kind of receiver. Well, then they're not going to take Drake London. And so now all of a sudden, you now have to find a new range in which Drake London can fall in this draft class. Now, there are some skills that are just going to be universal and teams are going to take. But if there's a certain type of receiver that you're looking for... You know, they might not agree with you, Joe, of who your top receiver is because it's not what they prioritize as a team. And I think that's the other part of this, too, that's going to play an impact is I think you might see some receivers. We, we agreed on the four locks, but there might be some receivers mm-hmm. that fall. And the the retrospect that we'll have to do is, OK, this guy fell because these teams didn't want that skill set they were looking for. Why skill set? The mystery man for me. And this wide receiver class is Traylon Burks from Arkansas. Dude, I don't know who, what to make of this guy. He, I, he's really hard, really difficult to evaluate and forecast. Because the production's there. Like, obviously, he was the best player on Arkansas. They force-fed him the football. A lot of manufactured touches, some wins down the field. They, they use this guy as a punt returner sometimes. I mean, what a unique player, given his size. But then he didn't quite test like we thought he was going to test. We, we heard about... 4X gloves, right? And they had like average size hands. You watch his tape. He doesn't really win routes, you know, and I, that's that's got to be at, at the 
when I asked Sean McDermott one time, what are you looking for in a wide receiver? And he said, I want guys that can get open and catch the football. And that's as basic of an answer that you can give. But how do you get open? You run good routes. And watch the tape of Traylon Burks and, and show me the, the, the plays where this guy runs routes and wins a route. So he's such a unique player in this class. And he's the mystery man because I could see him going early in the first round, top 15, top 20 picks. I can see this guy falling into day two, which makes this even more of a fascinating conversation when it comes to these wide receivers. Joe, I think one of my favorite things to do this time of year is to ask a question that on the surface seems extremely dumb because the answer is it starts with the number one pick. But the question I'm going to ask us here today that we're going to explore is, where does the draft really start? Like, where are those moments, where are those picks that we think are turning points to where if a certain player goes here, it's going to change the complete direction that the draft goes. And I think there are a couple of different options. So I think what would be fun is if you have one that immediately jumped to mind to you, we could take it, explore it, see what it does, and then see if I have a different one and we can just kind of butterfly effect this thing out because it's probably my favorite thing to do when it comes to draft season. Oh, man, there are so many. It's just a matter of which one I want to say first. But um, to me, the, the one that's really fascinating to me is the Jets at four. And it, if they pick Sauce Gardner, the corner out of Cincinnati, which I don't think is that crazy to think is a possibility. And if they take him at four, what does that mean for the corner run? Because I'm sure Seattle at nine would love to draft Sauce Gardner. I'm sure there's teams that would like to move up. Minnesota at 12. You have the Eagles at 15. The Ravens at 14. And when I think about this cornerback class, I think there's a clear top three. And Sauce Gardner, Andrew Booth, Derek Singley Jr., and then I think kind of flirting there at the back end of that is Trent McDuffie from Washington. And so if Sauce goes two, what does that mean for the rest of these corners and how quickly do they come off the board? So that's just – I could go so many different directions, but that right there is the sure. one that's the prevailing thought in my head right now. Can I tell you the one that – I'm glad that you said the Jets because that's not the one that I have, although it's an important one because I think you can insert any player. I mean, if the Jets don't take an edge rusher at four – Right? What does that do if they if they join the tackle craze with Ike McWanu? Like, you know, what what does that look like? The one for me, and you, this is your fault. You have put this in my brain, and I have just been marinating on it for just weeks. Where I'm like, this could cause this is this could cause chaos. You have been pushing this idea that the Detroit Lions could take a quarterback at number two, and I'm here to tell you, if they take a quarterback mm -hmm. at number two. All bets are off. Like, it's just, I don't know what's going to happen. Because, Joe, quarterbacks are the one position, and in, in, in you've done this long enough, and I've been doing this for a couple years now, that it just it just changes the game. When the it, it, It's just the position when it comes to the draft that changes all of the variables. It changes everything that you think of. And I can see a scenario where if they take a quarterback, you've been saying Malik Willis, so we'll use Malik Willis in mm -hmm. this example. If they do that, what does that do to the other teams that are looking for a quarterback? Are they now in a frenzy to try to get inside the top 10 to get their guy? Are they calling up Seattle at nine? Are they calling up the Jets with either four and 10? Are they calling up Carolina? Are they calling, are they calling up the Giants with one of their two picks at five and seven to say, listen, I don't, now one less quarterback's off the board. And we kind of, these guys are kind of clustered together. Malik Wills, TDN's QB1, but there's, there are quarterbacks that are kind of clustered together. Well, now if one name's off the board, uh-oh, 
there's one less option for you. And so I really think if that does happen, you are going to see a team trade into the top 10. I, I genuinely believe that if Malik Willis goes to, or any quarterback goes to, that is going to cause a ripple effect in which at least one team is going to trade inside the top 10. What's the compelling argument for Detroit to not pick Malik Willis at two? If they like him, why wouldn't they pick him at two? In an NFL world where we've seen Blake Bortles go number three, we've seen like Christian Ponder go high, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker, EJ Manuel. And I'm not trying to put Malik Willis in that light. I'm trying to say if quarter if teams like quarterbacks, they draft them. Yes. What's stopping Detroit from picking them at, at, at number two? Nothing. And, and this is what I think is the funny part about this is, right, like teams, we, we've seen mock drafts in which they won't give Detroit a quarterback at two, but they'll give them a, a pick, a quarterback with pick 32. Yeah. So if you're going to, if you're going to give them a quarterback, just take the guy at two. Don't, don't, don't risk it because you obviously like a guy. And so mm-hmm. take him at two. And guess what? All of the, other, all of the other positions that Detroit needs, in most mocks, it's an edge rusher. There's going to be some pretty good edge rushers that they could pick at 32. We talked about it this week on well, the Draft Dude Show. Like, they can do this. They they can do this without sacrificing a ton. It, 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 are Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson potential, you know, game-changing talents? Yes. But you have to replace those names with Malik Willis and say, if Detroit thinks that Malik Willis is a game-changing talent at the quarterback position, then they're going to take him at number two. They just are. That's just the way it's going to go. And then they'll get another player that they really like at 32. Yeah, and and I love pass rushers as much as anybody out there, but nothing can change the course of your franchise like solidifying your quarterback. And Detroit had a front row seat to Malik Willis at the Senior Bowl. I like the infrastructure that they've built. They have a very good offensive line. They have a commitment to running the football. You know, whatever you think of DeAndre Swift, they, they, it matters to them, right? They have a great tight end in TJ Hawkinson. The receiving talent is coming together with Armin Ross St. Brown and DJ Chark in the fray. And, you know, Quintez Cephas coming back. You know, they've, they've added to that wide receiver room. And you have Jared Goff. And, and to me, that's what I like about it, is that you do have Jared Goff. And he's not going anywhere. And there's no pressure to play Malik Willis in week one. You can have a good succession plan in place. And I keep bringing back up the Baltimore Ravens when they had Joe Flacco in place. And, the, you know, it was a very natural transition to Lamar Jackson where they had packages for him. And then eventually, he, by the end of the season, he was a starter. They got hot. They went to the playoffs. I don't know if that's going to happen for Detroit, but that similar type succession plan to really usher in Malik Willis as the quarterback, it just makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, look at this NFC, man. Look at it. You got to feel good if you're it's available. If you're a team like it really is, you know, like Tom Brady and, and Aaron Rodgers can only play so much longer. Like you have a real opportunity to pounce here. And if you like a quarterback, go get him and start your process because you can be ahead of every other team, right? Like you can have every team chasing you. And if I'm Detroit, I like that vantage point. And I like Malik Willis enough to believe in him where Maybe not in every single draft you pick them at two, but in this one, I think you do. Yeah, I mean, let's, let me just think about it real quick. You'd be ahead of it, both Atlanta and Carolina. You, you, I could argue that you'd be Seattle? Ahead, Seattle. I could argue that you'd be ahead of New Orleans because I don't think New Orleans is going to be particularly competitive over the next two seasons with Jameis, and so they're going to have to reset, and you're going to be ahead of them. You're ahead of Washington, I think, 
because I don't know if this Carson Wentz experience is going to work <laughs> out. And again, I'm projecting a little bit. Yeah. I think you're ahead of the Giants because I don't think they're going to move long term with Daniel Jones. That's five. I mean, it's five teams. It's five teams. I just I just named off that I think they would be ahead of if they took a quarterback at number two. And here's here's where I think there's a blind spot at times when it comes to d- doing this. I think when we when we when we discuss mock drafts and and you've talked about this you've done this on mock drafts that we've done on draft dudes, where you've taken Willis at number two and I think there's a bit of an uproar about that. When doing things predictively, I think people's personal reflections of a player seep in a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. To where they go, man, I wouldn't take Malik Willis at number two. So how could Joe give the Lions Malik Willis at number two? How could they do it? Well, guess what? If in their war room, if on their big board, Malik Willis is up towards the top of their big board, they're going to take him at number two. doesn't matter what your personal board says. doesn't matter what you think of Malik Willis. matters what the team picking thinks of a player. And I think that's the important thing that we discuss here when we talk about these ripple effects. They like Malik Willis at two. It is going to cause chaos. The Giants are going to get phone calls. The Jets are going to get phone calls. Carolina is going to get a phone call. Seattle is going to get a phone call. Now, I don't know if all those teams accept those phone calls in terms of accepting trades. All of those teams are going to hear from potentially Pittsburgh, potentially New Orleans, of trying to trade up to, to get their quarterback of the future because they want to do the same thing that Detroit's doing. So to me, I, I loved your example of, of, two, of four with the, with the Jets, but to me, if the Lions take a quarterback, all bets are off. <laughs> well, all what's interesting about... Well, so... We feel like these quarterbacks are pretty close. So you go from Malik Willis to Kenny Pickett to Desmond Ritter to Matt Corral to eh, then there's a drop off. You have Sam Howell, Carson Strong. For as much as we might think that it creates this massive ripple effect, maybe Malik Willis wasn't the player at quarterback that Carolina wanted or the Falcons at eight or Seattle at nine. You know, maybe they like Desmond Ritter the most because I think you could. I mean, honestly, if you asked all 32 teams to submit their top five quarterbacks, how many different QB1s will you see? I think I think four, maybe? Yeah, like, there's, there's going to be a lot of variance there. Yeah, I think if you, asked, if you asked all 32 teams, I don't know how many one-to-one copies of that top five list you would get, right? Like, if you did that, how many teams have identical top five lists? I don't know. I don't know if there are. Look at, our, look at our scouting staff. I mean, we've all got our own rankings. We've got six guys putting together rankings and none of them look the same at all. <laughs> so you think that's not going to be different across 32 teams that, you know, and it's, it's not just, they're not scouting in a vacuum. They're scouting for their team, for their offense, for their city, right? Like all of that stuff comes into play. It's much different than scouting in a vacuum, which I think lends itself to even more variance with who they're or how they stack their top quarterbacks. Can I offer you another one, another team that I think could be a turning yeah. point? The Houston Texans, depending on what they do, could have a big impact, right? Because go with me for a second here. Jacksonville and Detroit both take edges. They don't. Detroit doesn't take a quarterback in this scenario. They take another edge. If Houston also takes an edge, like what is like that? that like that's three edges right off the board. And we did it this week on Draft Dudes where we contextualized the edge class. And there are there are what five or six guys that both you and Kyle believe are. are you know, first round caliber, at least grade wise, uh, talents, three of them go with the first. I mean, you have the jets that are probably in the market. You have the giants that are in the market. Atlanta. I've seen mocked edges at number eight. Like there are teams that would want an edge that could have an impact. Now flip it. Let's say Houston takes a tackle. What does that do? 
Because now, I mean, we, there, there are two tackles that we talk about being at the top, right? Ika McWanu and um, Evan Neal. Does that force a team for Evan Neal? Does that push Trevor Penning up? Like, the, the, like that to me feels like a really important moment of what position Houston goes with could determine what direction both the Jets and... Like, players that the Jets and Giants envision being on their teams might not because yeah. of what Houston does at three. Yeah, this is good, Chris. This is really good. You got my head spinning over here right now <laughs> because I think realistically... I, would it be crazy to you to think that the th the first three picks are some combination of Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Trayvon Walker? As we currently that wouldn't surprise anybody, the, would it? No, as we currently do the show, that would not surprise me. In any order of those three guys, no. All right, so you, let's say that you're the New York Jets, and in your mind, you've thought that with one of your top ten picks, you're going to get an edge rusher, right? And this is what you thought you needed to accomplish. And all of a sudden, it's looking a little dicey because three are already off the board. Do you make that choice at four to say, oh, my God, we got to get the guy that we like? Maybe that's Jermaine Johnson. I think you have to like, do is it. That a, I think you have to reach. I think you have to. Because you're not getting them at 10. Right, and you're, not, and that, you're getting completely shut out of this edge class. And, the and, top and, of it, at least. And, and two, two things. He's not going to get there to 10, but I think having 10 allows you to reach a little bit. Because you know, okay, I'm still going to be able to do the other so, thing that I want to do at 10. But how do you, Chris, how do you foil that against, oh my God, we have our choice of offensive tackles. True. Which is also a meaningful position and you have Zach Wilson in year two. Can I, can I interweave what you talked about earlier? That could be a scenario where they go, screw it. Give us Sauce Gardner, please. We'll just take right? Sauce. <laughs> oh my you know God. What? You know what? You do. Forget this. We'll take sauce. Because then, Joe, in that scenario, three edges, they take sauce. One of the tackles could be there at 10. You could right. weave this all the way back to where one of those guys, yeah. they're the guy that falls. Or or at least, when you say one of the tackles, at least Penning or Charles Cross. Man, this is crazy. The NFL draft this year is un as unpredictable as ever. And the more we talk about it, the more my head spins. Joe, I had your head spinning there during the during the break. You 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 needed a moment to collect yourself to kind of put it all together after we went down that road with Houston and uh, and what that could do to the draft. And we were talking during the break about how Houston could even you know could be that linchpin moment of the NFL draft. And so as we kind of close here, as we've we've talked about some hypotheticals with wide receivers, and we didn't even let them kind of into the picture of them potentially having an impact on the draft and pushing some positions in and out. I think where I kind of want to put a bow on this, Joe, as we've gone into these draft storylines the last couple of weeks here, is positional value is going to be important, What how each team prioritizes these positions, and just one difference of opinion between two teams, just picking one player over another player, can dramatically impact the way this draft, this draft goes. And so when predictively we sit down and we do these mock drafts that we do all the time, when it comes to draft season. I think it's so important to know that just one little difference, just one scout at the last second going to his general manager, wait a minute, we maybe should take this guy, could change everything. There are alternate realities that have different scenarios, that have the scenarios that we played out. I think that's the the part about this that's the most fun to me is, is playing these scenarios out in our heads. Well, especially when you consider, you, you mentioned premium positions, and we have players at premium positions all over what we think is going to go in the top 10. We've got corners. We've got edge rushers galore. We've got offensive tackles galore. We have some maybe wide receivers. We have some maybe quarterbacks. 
And I think that's where you should settle, right? Like the NFL is going to fill up this top 10 with those positions. And that's why I think guys like Kyle Hamilton might get, you know, shut out of the top 10, even though he might be one of the best two or three players in this draft. Like maybe you love Devin Lloyd or Nicobe Dean at linebacker. Like I don't think they get picked in this range. I think what we can laser back in on is that the NFL is going to prioritize premium positions at the top of the draft. And there are a bunch of really, really good options for them to consider. Yeah, these positions are prioritized on a yearly basis as it is, but in a year in which it is loaded at the top, at specifically edge and corner, there's just not enough seats at the table, right? There's just not enough. You know, it's a game of musical chairs, and I don't know if Kyle Hamilton, Nicobe Dean, Devin Lloyd, if those guys are able to, to sneak their way in. They might. They are very talented players that could sneak their way in, but it just feels like those those premium positions are going to rise to the top, and they're going to be the, the names that we see called uh, with those top 10 picks. Joe, it's been a blast. It is draft month. It is officially April. We are counting down the days. For Joe Marino, Chris Schubert, Draft Dudes, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.